This morning we continue our series, Delight, thinking about how we can be a generous people. And the reason we can be generous is because we can find delight in God's generosity. We of all people are the most blessed people on planet earth uh, to know Jesus Christ personally. And when you know him personally, it changes the way you live your life. It, it does. And if it doesn't, hasn't changed your life, then you ask the question, does Jesus really live in me? Because he took old and made it new. He took your dark heart and sinful heart and covered it with the righteousness of Jesus. He took your destiny that was headed to hell and now you're headed to heaven. And so when you and I walk this planet earth, any day we arise and get up, we know that we are secure in Christ and our eternity is secure in Jesus' name. That should change the way we live. It should cause us and help us to become more like him. And one of the prayers I've been praying over the last four to five months is, Lord, help me to see the world the way you see the world. And what I found myself pondering is that it's impossible for me to truly know God without becoming a generous person. And when you see generosity lived out in front of you, it changes the way you live. Watch this story here of a 97-year-old woman. How old are you? 97. I'll be 98 in October. (laughs) I live in a retirement community. And we used to have a bus here to take people to the grocery store twice a week. And they gave that bus up. I don't know why. So a lot of people were stuck around here like my neighbor Joyce, who was a very shy person. She said to me, well, if they don't get another bus, they'll find another place for me to live. And she says, I just don't want to go anywhere else. I said, Joyce, I'll get you to the grocery store every week. But I lost my driver's license because somebody thought I was too old but I didn't have a mark against me at all. I was heartbroken at that, I really was. It made me feel old. It made me feel useless. I am a good driver, I really am. I'm not fearful when I drive. But I'm very careful. You're a hot uh, no. Well, I drive 65, but I obey the rules, so I went to get it back. You make a promise. It's important for me to to keep that promise if it's possible. On the earth, I'm here. If I can contribute, I should. Shouldn't we all? And not just think of ourselves? It's supposed to get real cold. Like I say, I don't have money to give, but I can give myself and my time. A lot of people in the world who don't have anybody who cares about them. So that's the way I felt. to love our neighbor, be a friend, that will give you joy. I mean, I don't do this, so you think I'm great. I don't even think of that. My daughter says, Mother, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. I'll say, well, okay. And like I say, I do what I please. I wouldn't do anything dangerous, but, you know. How about a cup of tea? Would you like a cup of tea and a muffin? 
I love everything about that. I love that. Even at 97, she still wants to serve. She wants to give. And as long as she is alive, she knows that God has purpose for her life. Now hear me out. God has purpose for your life too. And my hope is this, as we begin to delight in the Lord, that we move from our seats to the world around us and we serve. And we use our gifts and our talents until we breathe our last breath so that the world can know that there is a good God out there that loves us. And he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for us. And when you find Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you trust in him, it's a game changer. And we should never be the same again. That's my hope as I pray across Grace Community. I pray that as we dig deeper and we learn to know him more personally, that it changes the way we live. And then when people see us or bump into us or shake our hand or high-five us or move across the street from us, they look at us and they say, there's something different about you. And then you could tell them, I'm different because Jesus took this heart that was headed for hell and he rescued it. And I'm more alive than I've ever been in my life. And I know that even if I die today, I will receive the greatest gift I've ever been given because I will meet my Savior. And because of that, we should respond in generosity to the world around us. David tried to capture this over 3,000 years ago. In one of his moments, he was probably by himself and he was pondering and reflecting like we should on the goodness of God and how good our God is that he accepts all of us just like we are and we don't have to get all cleaned up to come to him and he freely says, come unto me. And David is reflecting on this and he has this word that he writes. In fact, he says, I got a message from God and he writes about him. Grab your Bibles and turn to Psalm chapter 36. And if you need a Bible and you've come today without one, we have one for you as a gift. Take it home. Our ushers will put one in your hand. But turn to Psalm chapter 36, and let's read this message from God that David had in his heart. And stand with me as we read it together. Psalm chapter 36, verses 1 through 12. Would you read it out loud with me? Psalm 36, verses 1 to 12. Ready, read. I have a message from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before their eyes. In their own eyes, they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sin. The words of their mouths are wicked and deceitful. They fail to act wisely or do good. Even on their beds, they plot evil. They commit themselves to a sinful course and do not reject what is wrong. Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains. Your justice like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from the river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Continue your love to those who know you, your righteousness to the upright in heart. May the foot of the proud not come against me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. See how the evildoers lie fallen, thrown down, not able to rise. You may have a seat. Apart from God, there is emptiness. (laughs) And David is showing us that, like apart from God, there's emptiness, there's loneliness, There's selfishness. There's everything but this incredible love that you receive through this relationship with Jesus Christ. David says, I have a message from God. And he's showing us in this message that if you don't know God, this is how you respond. But when you do know him, this is how he responds to you. 
In fact, verses 1 to 5, he just goes through this litany. He says, the, the, the person who doesn't know God, the sinner who hasn't trusted in him, has no regard for their life. They have no fear of God. It says, he even says they flatter themselves. They really don't see sin like it should be seen. Literally, words gutter from their mouths. Words that, that, that are detestable to God. And, and even, he says, they can't remember when anything was done good at all. And then David says, this person plots evil in his bed at night. It's as if he lives without believing God exists. And it says when he's on the loose on the streets, no one is safe because he's always thinking about evil. And when he wraps it up in verse 5, he basically says he plays with fire and doesn't care who gets burned. He just promotes sin. It is obvious this person that David is talking about has no idea of a loving, generous God who sent his son Jesus into the world. They have built their life on their own strength and are selfishly headed to hell. This whole series has been a journey in understanding the richness of our salvation in Jesus Christ. Yesterday when I was in the office and very vulnerable moment as I'm just sitting there and I'm just thinking about the goodness of God and I began to just praise his name and thinking about how blessed I am and how blessed we are as people of Christ and And I began to weep as I was sitting at my computer because I had this incredible richness in the joy of my salvation. And then I began to think about all those who don't know God and how far away and they haven't experienced the reality and my heart was broken that, please God, all these people along the way that have heard the truth, may they come to know you personally. David said later in Psalm 51, he says, Do you find delight in your salvation? He says in Psalm 51, Restore to me the joy of my salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. One version says it this way in Psalm 51, 12. He says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. You see, when we ponder and think and step back, and like, do you do that enough, really? When's the last time you just sat down and you just thought, Man, God, the joy of my salvation is so rich and so good. And I'm so grateful for you, God. You see, separation from God creates loneliness, isolation, and darkness. And we're seeing that picture that David is painting in the first five verses. David is saying there is no regard for the fear of God among the wicked. Because they truly don't know him the way we do. Our hearts are moved to love others once we love him. And when we're known and known by him, and we know him, we walk in obedience. Let me just say this again. I don't walk in obedience because I'm fearful that I'll lose my relationship with God. I walk in obedience as a response of my relationship with God. God lives in me. And so as a result of that, I can do good only because he lives in me. Otherwise, I can't do good. And as a result of that, my obedience is directly linked to the destiny of someone else's future. Think about that for a second. Jesus himself was willing to obey his father. He said, I did my father's will. His obedience to his father is directly linked to my salvation. And when we walk in obedience, when you walk in obedience, somehow your life will directly impact the destiny of someone else's future. And the reason we walk in obedience is to show the world that Jesus is real. And he's changed our lives. It matters how you live. What you post on social media. How you give your life and sacrifice for others. What you share with your words. Whether or not you walk across the street or down the assembly line and tell people about God. Your steps of obedience will directly be linked to someone else's destiny. Someone else's future. God puts us here to take light to a dark world. And as I was sitting and thinking about how my obedience and your obedience is directly linked to someone else's destiny or future and when we walk in obedience, when I was at my desk yesterday, I began to think, as I look back in my life, all these people along the way who walked in obedience, I benefited from their obedience. And I went back to the time when I was four years old and at home, my mom was divorced I had three sisters, and it was me, 
We were living as a single parent home 54 years ago. None of us knew Jesus. None of us knew Jesus. I had never even been in church up to that point. My oldest sister was five years older than me. She's nine years old. Had a sister that was seven, a sister that was three. And if we're in this home, I can remember my mom crying at night and hopeless and feeling abandoned. And But there was this church that walked in obedience. And because of their obedience, because of their gratitude for the Lord, they placed my mom's name and our name on a prayer list, a prayer encounter. And they began to pray for this family they didn't, didn't even know. Someone said, pray for the Beverly Brown family. And so they began to pray for people they had never known, had never walked in their doors ever. And there was a moment in time because of that, that the pastor of that church, his name was Homer Bowes. Homer Bowes decided that he would walk in obedience and he knocked on the door of my mom's house and he introduced Jesus to my mother. And because he introduced Jesus to my mother, mom took us to church. And because Homer was willing to be obedient, Mabel Huff was obedient, and she told me about Jesus. In a matter of six months period, my whole family was saved. (laughs) Why? Because someone was willing to walk in obedience. And the reason they were is because they had been radically changed by the goodness of our Savior. You see, when we walk with Christ, we have the spirit of generosity. We give our lives away. Think about this. Your obedience today could directly impact the destiny and future of someone else. And so David gives this picture of what it looks like to be separate from God. And then he gives this beautiful picture of what it looks like, who, this God that we know and what he does for us. And he gives us this picture that God holds nothing back from his children. In fact, look at verse 5. Look what he says in verse 5. He says, your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. In other words, your love has no limits. No distance is too far for God. Even as Pastor John shared about the team that was in Cambodia yesterday, they went to the othermost parts of, of Cambodia to a group of people who had never heard the gospel. And because of the obedience of Savorn, the obedience of our children, the obedience of our team to go, the gospel was taken. And as a result, they heard the good news. And God has no limits to how far and how deep he will go to share the good news of his son, Jesus. You see, he is loyal to us, and his faithfulness extends to the moon and back, and nothing can separate us from that love. God never load manages his love for us. God never checks out of the game. And then he says this in regards to God, and so he's trying to paint this picture for you and I today. He says in verse 6, your righteousness is like the highest mountains, your justice like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and what? What's he say? Animals. In other words, your righteousness will climb and scale Mount Everest. Your justice is plunged to the deepest parts of the sea. In other words, God will travel to the uttermost parts of the world to save and rescue and bring justice. In this world's largeness, nothing gets lost, not a man and not a mouse by God. Last week, uh, week before last, in our, in our journey with Fight Club, one of our challenges was to make a bird feeder. And one of the primary things behind that was to put dads and children and families together to make something. And so men made these incredible bird feeders, and, and children did too. And so we hung them out in our yards. And, and so one of our hopes is that we bring birds in that would, that would eat the bird seed. And as I was... This week, I was looking out at our bird feeder that I had put out in our yard, and I watched these birds fly in, and they were being fed. And even this morning, as I had my binos, I was looking. There was a a male cardinal and a female cardinal, cardinal being fed by this bird feeder. And this thought hit me this week, that the sparrow and birds, and there were five or six of them that were in my bird feeder, it hit me that these birds, I don't even know by name, 
They didn't know me. They might have never been to my house before. But God in his foreknowledge, God in his providence, God in his ability to to control and hold the world together knew that I would make a bird feeder in my yard so that this bird would be fed. The Bible says that that in the New Testament that no bird falls to the ground that God doesn't know about. And, And he says that if he can feed the sparrows who don't worry about what's getting how they're going to get food tomorrow, then he can provide for us. And so I was picturing and thinking, as I was standing there and pondering these thoughts of the New Testament, it struck me like, these birds didn't know me. These birds didn't knock on my door and say, build that house, build that feeder. These birds didn't stand at my door the night before fretting to death and say, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. They didn't. God just provided for them. And I have to think, I wonder how many birds are flying south or from the south to the north right now because there's a 460 bird feeders in northern Indiana right now. <laughs> All that to say this. If God could provide for those chickadees, if God could provide for the sparrows and the cardinals that have been spending time in this box that I made in my shop in my garage, and he says that I care more for human beings than I do the sparrow and I provide for the sparrow, then he can provide for us too. And how does he do that? Through the obedience of believers. You see, our obedience is linked to the destiny and the future of someone else's life. Then he says this about God. He says in verse 7, he says, How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People even take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Your love can't be bought. It's a price. It's priceless. Nothing compares to this unconditional, unchanging love. And literally, turn to John chapter 10. I just want to give you a picture of this love that we can never be separated from it. Hold your finger here and look at John chapter 10. John would later describe this love, this incredible gift called salvation, and he did so pretty clearly. Last Saturday morning, we sat with men and we dug into what what eternal security looks like and we came across these incredible truths in God's word. And if you look at John chapter 10, just begin with verse 25. It says, Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. However, my sheep listen to my voice. And I what them? What's it say? Know them. And they what? Follow me in obedience. I give them what kind of life? What's your Bible say? Eternal life. Let me just pause and ask the question. What part of eternal life is an eternal life? Eternal life. And then he says this. They shall never what? What's the word? Never. What part of never is never? And what part of never perish is never perish? These are Jesus' words. These aren't Jim Brown's words. And then he says this, no one will snatch him out of my father's, out of my hand. In other words, how many will snatch him? How many people can be snatched out of his hands? What does it say? No one. Okay. So he reiterates that. And then he goes a step farther. These are Jesus' words. He says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can watch, can do what? What does it say? Snatch them out of whose hands? My father's hand. I and the father are one. So here's what that means. And David's trying to describe this love. It goes as far as it needs to go. It'll go to the other depths of the sea. It'll go to the highest mountain. In other words, once you receive this love, you can't be separated from this love. Once you have Jesus, nothing can separate you from Jesus. It's eternal. Let me demonstrate if I can. Richard and, and Stan, could I have you up on stage just for a second, please? I want to demonstrate this, if, what this love looks like and what John chapter 10 is like. John chapter 10, you can stand right here, Stan and Richard, you, you can stand on the other side. But John chapter 10 gives us this picture that, that no one can snatch us from Jesus' hand. So you, you, you're here, I'm, just for sake of illustration, I'll be Jesus, you be God, just for sake of illustration, Okay. So I'm going to take, just take this one hand here and make a fist stand. It says this, that Jesus says, no one can snatch us from my hand. So it's this, think about it. It's this eternal grip. I'm Jesus, by the way. I, I hold the world together. I've created everything. 
No one can stand against me. And Jesus says, no one. Even if Stan tried his hardest to get away, he couldn't get away because it's the eternal grip of Jesus Christ. Then it says, in addition to that, God the Father grabs a hold too, Richard. And he says, now there is, it's not happening. It's just, he's trying, by the way. (laughs) But it's a beautiful picture of this is how we are held, those in Christ Jesus. Amen? Thank you, guys. That's the picture. So let me just say something for sake of illustration. There is nothing. There is no one. There is nothing you could ever do to gain your salvation. It's all by the grace through faith, through Jesus Christ, and there is nothing that you have to do to keep it. Jesus holds you, and the God the Father holds you secure. And the reason we walk in obedience is not to keep something. It's a result of what's been done for us. And the reason there's good in us is because God the Father sent his son Jesus who lives in us. And so David is saying, listen, why in the world wouldn't you want to trust in a God who will never allow anyone or anything to pluck you from his hands or snatch you away. Credible truth. So he keeps painting this picture of this generous God. Look at verse 8. Look what he says in verse 8. He said, they feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of what? Delights. They feast. On the abundance of your house, you give them drink from the river of your delights. The food and drink will never run out. When I read this, I just think of the golden corral for some reason. It never runs out. And maybe for you, it's Martin's buffet salad. But it's just this picture that it never, God will supply all your needs. Paul would say later, according to his riches in Christ Jesus, Psalm 104.15, David would later say, God gives drink that gladdens human hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. Think about it. He just gives to us, not always because we need it, because it just makes us happy. It gladdens our... In other words, there should be something radically different about our countenance because God supplies our needs and lives in us. It's a beautiful picture. He just gives it and doles it out and keeps giving it and giving it and giving it. Not necessarily because we need it, because he just wants to gladden our hearts. That's a generous God. You see, he's a God who gives good stuff for us to enjoy so that we can glorify God and say, let me tell you about my God. You give them drink. David says, from the river of delights. God has a stash of delight for us that he gives generously to us. And then he says this in verse 9. He keeps painting this picture of this generous God. He says, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. What kind of light? Eternal light that will never perish. His light reflects through us. He brings dead things back to life and he's willing that none should perish. He just keeps doling out his grace and love. And here's how good this love is. I want you to think about this for a moment. Just just reflect on this truth. Right now, God is working out that hard, confusing, frustrating mind-consuming, painful, lonely, difficult, heart-wrenching, and real situation for good for you. And I raise a hallelujah for that. Don't you? See, that's our God. Like, when you begin to ponder, like David says, I got a message from God. Our God is a good and generous God. And David said, in Psalm 35, 17, the God who delights in the well-being of his servant. Think about that. What does that mean? Like God delights that we're doing well. God delights in gladdening our hearts. 
God gives generous gifts to his kids, and often he gives it not because we need it or have to have it, just because he delights in the well-being of his servant. David is painting this picture of our God who is gracious, generous, and life-giving, who holds nothing back from his children, and he just keeps digging in from his river of delights. Oh, there's one for Jim. Here, delight in this today, Jim. Here, delight in this today, Grace Community Church. Oh, let me pick something today. Not necessarily because you need it. He supplies all our needs in Christ Jesus, but he also has this river of delights that he just wants to gladden our hearts with. He wants to, to have our faces shine. Why? So that we can give glory and say, God, you're a good God. And when he Abrahams us, we're going to praise his name. And when he Job's us, we're going to praise his name because our God is a good God. You see, the deeper we understand the grace and love of God, the more generous we should become. I would go so far as to posture this thought, and it might cause you to feel like sandpaper just kind of rubbed you a little bit. But I'll say this. If you're not generous, then you might not have really experienced the gospel of Jesus Christ. You cannot get close to God. You cannot have a personal relationship and know what you've been saved from and saved to without wanting to be a generous person because we did nothing but offer him our sin for salvation. (laughs) We should be the most generous people on planet Earth. A God that gave his one and only son and a son that was obedient even to death on a cross so that you and I can be beneficiaries of this generous, extravagant, eternal gift of life through his son. You see, generosity, I would say, is born of optimism. And optimism comes from an abundance of hope and an abundance of faith. I know many of you, and many of you know others too, that maybe once in a while are being accused of being too optimistic. I've had people say that to me, Jim, you're too optimistic. Like, why are you so optimistic? (laughs) I'm not optimistic, I just know who I am in Christ. (laughs) I know what I've received. I know my destiny. I know my my plans that God has charted out for me. They're good. I know that no matter what happens to me, that at the end, even if I die today while I'm preaching, I get to stand before the creator God of the universe, and I get to meet him personally, and he's been preparing a place for me. And so I got up this morning, and I prayed yesterday, Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. Just take me home, God, or come and get us and take us home. Why? Because I know what I have in Christ. And then when you know what you have in Christ, no weapon formed against you can ever prosper. And no one can stand against us. It's not that I'm, like, depending on some possession or some bank account or, or some vehicle or some home. I am banking on Jesus, and he is enough for me. And he's good. So David is just saying, man, this is really good what we have in the Lord. Do you remember the boy that gave five, or gave the fish and and the the bread in the New Testament? He was kind of picked out of the crowd, and Jesus kind of went to him because he saw this need that was there. And so Jesus took his food, which was very small, and he fed 5,000 with it. Here's what I know about Jesus. God is capable of taking limited resources and accomplishing more with it. You see, I don't know where you're at in your your journey, but as I age, I think a lot more about retirement. And as I think about retirement, which we should, I'm thinking about, is there something in store that will provide somehow, what's my plan, what will be my continually work pattern, how will I be able to continue to provide What will be my income? And so as I think about that, we have to be really careful that that I don't put this number out there or this amount out there that I'm I'm not being generous now while I live. It's real easy to think, well, I need this amount. If I don't have this amount, then I won't be secure. But the truth is, God is capable of taking small, limited resources and accomplishing more with it. And if God has provided for me now and you now, don't you dare think he won't provide for you when you retire. 
There's just somehow fear that comes in like, oh, oh, the stock market is crashing. Did you see it dropped a thousand points? And I say, I'm okay because God holds the world together. And if he could turn fish and he can turn bread and feed 5,000, he can surely take care of me when I'm 75. You see the difference? Well, you're too optimistic. No, I'm just believing who Christ is and his word. Some of us will say, you know, I can't be generous or I can't share this or I can't give my time or I can't give my money because I'm fearful I won't have enough at the end. What if Jesus took that approach? You see, Jesus gave us all. He didn't tithe his life. (laughs) The boy gave it all. People of faith should be the most optimistic people on planet Earth. Generally speaking, pessimists are past tense people. They let the negative things of their past overly inform the prognosis of their future. And so David gives this picture of who God is, and then he wraps it up. He says, oh, by the way, and he says, oh, Lord, this is my message. Verse 10, please continue your love to those who know you. Your righteousness to the upright in heart. And he's praying for us. May the foot of the proud not come against me. In other words, stand there, God, be my defender nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. God, protect me. And then he wraps up this message from God by saying, see how the evildoers lie fallen, thrown down and not able to rise. You see, he turns to God and prays, please continue to love the way you do now. And don't let my enemies kick me to the curb and send them sprawling flat on their faces Into the mud. David's trust is placed in a God who knows no enemy that can stand against him. So how do these truths in Psalm chapter 36 impact our life? I'll tell you one thing to do. They get you out of your seats on Sunday morning. And you just don't keep coming back here without serving God somewhere. You just don't keep being fed because of the generosity that's been given to you. You serve. You give your life your time and your talents, your resources, so that others can know the God that you know, so that your obedience can be directly linked to someone else's future. Like right now, your obedience to give, your obedience to serve can impact someone's future. Whose life are you going to impact the same way you have been impacted by someone else giving and serving? So we can't just sit here. See, Jesus, not money, is my security. And that should move us towards a generous lifestyle, too. You see, our love for God and others grows as we embrace the extravagant and generous love our God has for us. So we should give. We should be givers. We should be generous like like God was even his own son. We should be extravagant in our giving, One of my favorite quotes along these lines was by a Scottish preacher that I read in seminary many years ago, and I looked for the quote this week because I remember the first time I heard it, it really impacted me and challenged me. And it was by Robert Murray McShane, Cheyenne. He says this. He says, the more you understand who Jesus is and what he has done for you, the more generous you become. He said, I fear there are many hearing me who now know they are not Christians because they do not love to give. They give largely and liberally, to give largely and liberally, not grudging at all, requires a new heart. An old heart would rather part with its lifeblood than its money. That's a hard-hitting quote. Are you so attached to your stuff? And building your stuff that you would dare not generously give your time, your talents, your resources, your money. Because that is your lifeblood, your security. And if your heart has been changed by Jesus, then there should be a direct connection to the generosity that wells out of the overflow of this relationship. So what does this mean to us? How can we apply this to our lives? 
Randy Alcorn and his writings has so much good. And so does J.D. Greer. And, and they had some thoughts along these. And I'm going to read them to you. But let me say this. Each principle by itself can't stand alone. Like you just can't pick and choose one of them. They all stand together and they all build upon the other. And what is our response to what David is telling us here? I would begin by saying this. God gives excess to some so they can share with those that have less. That's the whole principle of 2 Corinthians 8 verses 13 to 15. Your plenty will supply someone else's need. In other words, don't hoard it just for yourselves. Don't build up treasures here on earth and fill up your barns for your security. As God blesses, keep giving back. And James says this. He says, if we see a brother in need and can help, then do so. If not, then we can't be people of faith. Let me just say something I've noticed through the years. I'll often have people come to me and they'll say, Pastor Jim, Our church should do something about this. I saw this person and they have this need. Here, take this and call them. And I said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I think God brought that need to your attention. And I think he wants you to respond somehow to that need. And that might mean you sacrifice first. You see, what is easy for us to happen is to pass it off and give it away to someone else. Say, I sacrificed That's not generous spirit. That's just passing the buck of responsibility. Second principle. Remember, these don't stand alone. They kind of build on top of the other. Jesus' radical generosity toward us should be a model and a motivation for our radical generosity with others. You see, as we gain more position and more income, and God increases our ability to earn, he doesn't do it to increase our standard of living, but to increase our standard of giving. And some of us, by the way, praise God, like I love when I see the Lord, he he grabs from his river of delights, he doles it out, and I'll guarantee this, there's a faithful person behind that, because the, the promise or the principle in the Old Testament says you can't outgive God. As you give to God, starting with even just 10% and an offering, God opens the floodgates of heaven and keeps giving back. Not so that you can raise your standard of living, but so that you can raise so much your standard of giving. You show me a generous person who keeps giving out, I'll show you a person who keeps giving back. That's the principle. Give and it shall be given unto you. Ann and I have been the recipients of God's goodness and grace. We have been in times of Job, and we have been in times of Abraham. And this year, credit to God to glorify his name. This year, in our giving to Grace Community Church, we praise God for this. I say this to show that God still does this today. We gave as much money to Grace Community Church this year as the entire salary I was given my first year at Grace Community Church. Now think about that. We gave back what God gave us when we stepped out in faith. The whole salary, we gave it completely back this year. And I'm telling you, Ann and I got together, and we pulled those numbers together. We went, (laughs) praise God, and here's why. I love Grace Community Church. I love our elders I love our pastors, I love our staff, I love our volunteers, I love you. I know that we are a generous church. And we look out for the needs of others. And we take the gospel to the nations. In fact, two years ago, I got a message from John McCullum with Asia's Hope in, 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 in our orphan care. Twelve years ago, you heard Pastor John say that we stepped out in faith and we gave. He sent me a notice. He said, Jim, your church just gave $1 million total to orphan care in Asia. Praise God. 
So I, 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 I can feel good. We have, we have, you have elders that are leading well. You have pastors, I believe, are leading well. And we are generous to our community. We have a building that's built for people to come into. We have a park that's built to bring people into. We are stepping in obedience and the steps obedience that we are taking is directly linked. You know, if I were able to, there are hundreds of people at Grace Community that came to know Christ because of your obedience to give and to serve. So man, like Ann and I, not only did we celebrate that, and we did, we were shouting when Ann gives the offering each week. She puts a big smiley face on the back and Darlene knows who it's from. It's Ann because God loves cheerful givers. What's another principle? The Holy Spirit must guide us as to which sacrifices we are to make. Let me just say it this way. Not everything has your name on it, but something has your name on it. I would say sacrifice is giving up something you love for something you love more. Fourthly, God delights in our enjoyment of his material gifts and gives us richly all things to enjoy. Say, how do you know that, Pastor Jim? Like, some of us have this, well, if you're a follower of Christ and you shouldn't have any income, you shouldn't be saving, you shouldn't, you should give it all away, but think about how generous our God is. At the first miracle that he did in, in John chapter 2, the wedding at the Cana of Galilee, he walks in and they ran out of wine. And so what did Jesus do? He got word of it. And it says he turned water into wine that was brimming over the tops of the vats. And the text says it was a good wine. I mean, he, he gave the good stuff. He didn't have the cheap stuff. I don't know what the good stuff is. You know where I stand. I don't drink alcohol at all. And I'm not here to call judgment on that. But what I do know is God took and gave the best that was available. He didn't have to. He could have given the minimum. Maybe that doesn't connect with you. But God gives generously. To gladden our hearts. Maybe this will connect better with you. You're at a wedding reception. You're at a wedding. And so you're waiting to eat. But you have to wait till the photographer gets back from taking all the photos. Have you ever sat there? And what are you thinking? I'm hungry. And you're sitting there, small talk. You learned everything about the guy in front of you, but all you can think about is food. And so they serve up these little snack sandwiches. They're like, you know, like, they're like, I don't even know what they are. Just one bite and they're gone. And as you go through the line, what do you do? You grab six or seven of them. You know, you're hungry. So they run out of food. And you know what Jesus, they call Jesus. Jesus, we're out of those five cent sandwiches. And he comes back. He throws prime rib. He throws shrimp. He throws porterhouse steaks. He says, eat it up. Why? Not because we need it. Because he longs for us to just enjoy good things. That's what our God can do. Like when I see someone that someone said, well, look at that house they live in. Look at that car they own. Look at, look at that thing. Well, praise God. Because all good gifts come from the Father above. And behind that person is probably a giver. Fifth principle, we are not to trust in riches and not define our lives by the abundance of our possessions. Money's the top competitor with God for two things, security and meaning. You see, Christians who worship God sufficiently give extravagantly. Make sure you have your priorities in order. The sixth principle, remember these don't stand alone, they build upon each other, is this one. Wealth building is wise. Isn't that what Proverbs 14.24 says? The crown of the wise is their wealth, but not at the expense of robbing God. Proverbs 3.9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with your first fruits of your produce. Mark Batterson said this in one of his books, which I think is very enlightening. These are his words, so if you have problems with, call him. He said, I know people, and you do too, who say they'll become more generous once they have more money. He said, I'm not buying what they're selling. 
You may think it's easier to tithe on a lot of money, but it's a mirage. If you don't tithe on George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, and Alexander Hamilton, you won't give a Benjamin Franklin. Quit fooling yourselves. Quit making excuses and start exercising the $50 faith. Generosity starts right here, right now. Don't wait until you have enough because enough will never be enough. Give God the first 50 and see what happens. Besides all this, why wouldn't we want to give after all that's been given to us? Let's bring the rubber to the road. Let's bring our butts to the seats. Do you give generously? Pastor Jim, I got five kids. Pastor Jim, I got this bill. Pastor Jim, I don't even make this much. Pastor, Pastor, Pastor Jim, I got retirement. I'm five years away. But Pastor Jim, I have this bill. But Pastor, Pastor, God took little with a boy with fish and loaves and fed 5,000. <laughs> he's not concerned. And he's not looking at your bank account and saying, keep adding, keep adding. Boy, I don't know how you're going to make it. He wants us to give the first fruits of our earnings. And the first fruits, hear me out, some of you might not know this, minimum, 10%. That's the first fruit. And then there's an offering. But let me ask you a question. Are you giving generously to our God? If you're not, then ask this question. Why am I not Maybe it's because you don't believe that your God can supply all your riches in Christ Jesus. And maybe it's because you don't want to give up your money because you find more security in your possessions than you do the God who gave his life for you. Oh, Lord, this is just truth, God. Our giving is a reflection of our hearts. Do we trust God? Do we love God? Giving is a reflection of a heart that's been changed. God, you are so good. You are so good to us. And I pray, God, that we would be generous givers like you were to us so that the world's future and destiny can be linked to our obedience. In Jesus' name.